WNQA. Twas the hour before pod time, and all through the house, co-host Dan Grote was stirring because a guest had backed out. But what to his wondering eyes should appear but a DM from Charlie Davis full of positive cheer. They regaled us with tales of mutant rebirth, and the wrestler John Moxley, AEW's answer to Colin Firth. Uh, as that analogy fails and I dive out of sight, happy December to you all, and to all a good night. Synopsis. Uh, um, yeah, okay. I tried something different. I don't know if it worked. Here are me and Matt and Charlie. Uh, so, so Charlie, you, uh, you're, you're our hero this week. Uh, you know, we had, uh, due to unforeseen emergency circumstances, you know, we, 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 uh, had a guest back out at the last minute and, um, you were kind enough to, uh, uh, take a break from, from Survivor Series, which, you know, I, not being a wrestling fan, but understanding that the pay-per-views are the important ones, you know, uh, very much appreciate it. <laughs> it's it's okay. Um, at this point, uh, this is my first, my official first watching of a WWE pay-per-view. Mazel. Um, since, uh, thank you. Since really getting back into wrestling, since I was into it when I was like 11 or 12, you know, the height mm. of wrestling, um, like back in 1999 and 2000. Um, but... It's, um, I was told it was four hours long, so I think I can, I can just sit, sit back and take a break. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, that's the last time that I was watching wrestling with any regularity. That same period, uh, the Attitude Era, I guess they call it. <laughs> yes, yes, it was, it, it definitely was. It, I loved, I loved it. Like, when I was a kid, that was like the thing that I loved so much. I would like go and stay up past my bedtime to watch Monday Night Raw. Uh -huh. And I'd like shut my door and like turn my volume down really low because I wasn't supposed to be up past nine o'clock and it was on till 10. And then my mom would come find me and be like, turn your TV off right now. <laughs> <laughs> because me, like everybody else in 1999, loved Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> I, w I was going to say, I, I was fascinated to, to, to figure out who you mained back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely Austin. Um, his heel turn at WrestleMania 17 tore my child heart out, and I stopped watching wrestling at that point <laughs> because I wasn't aware that wrestling wasn't real. <laughs> that that was one of the two like weird heel turns that I remember back then. It was Austin, the whole Austin Angle rivalry, which completely turned around, and uh, Chris Jericho when he started wrestling with Chris Benoit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, like, something that's, like, crystallized in my, in my skull. It's, like, I love Stone Cold, and I loved, like, him as, like, a, like, a, he was a hero. But, like, yeah. every hero I, I love, I love to have, like, all the rough edges around them. Um, he was probably, like, the first person that I liked that was like that. It probably started a trend. Um, and then, like, when he just became evil, I was like, but, but why? What is <laughs> what happened and so like i stopped i just stopped and i was like i can't do this it broke my it broke my 12 year old heart <laughs> yeah. but um i've been unceremoniously dumped back into wrestling by ironically catching up with like i started listening to a podcast called the attitude era podcast okay um that kind of recaps like it started in 1998 and went through all the major storylines and pay-per-views up through 2001. Mm -hmm. And it's basically explained the X-Men for wrestling. Um, oh. And it's very, it was like very informative and like it's really funny. And like the guys who hosted like are like really inclusive guys 
that like aren't the type of people that keep you out of wrestling like you know comic books has the same people sure um so it was it was good to sink my toes into it and i was like okay i remember why i love wrestling and i don't feel embarrassed that i used to love wrestling as much as i do and then i started watching the product like the recent product Mm-hmm. And then I saw some boys I liked a lot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and here we are now. Uh, I fell in love with The Shield, much like everybody else in 2012. And that's where we're at. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Matt, your two younger brothers growing up were, like, huge into wrestling, if I remember correctly. Oh, yes, and they still are. The, the last time all three of us were together, which was... Labor Day weekend, because it was my dad's 70th birthday, uh, there was... They're watching, I think it's AEW now? Yeah, that's the, that, the, the that's, new kid on the block, yeah. Yeah, that's their... Th- and there was a big AEW event that weekend. And so I, after dinner, when everyone had sort of... You know, we were all still hanging out at my parents' house, but it had all sort of gone in different directions. Um, I had gone downstairs to the basement and was flipping through cable like oh no no no, move over and like you gotta sit and watch this and i'm like i am completely lost in every moment of this but they were very much into it and so was my brother michael's significant other and it's like they they were watching it and amber and i were just sitting there like okay i'm gonna just play a little game on my phone and look up when it when they're getting really excited because nothing against wrestling it was just never particularly my jam and Mm -hmm. I just sort of was always, that was the thing that my brothers bonded over. Yeah. And it wasn't my thing, because by the time they were really getting into it, I was, you know, away at college, or starting to be, so it was was not in my my circle. Yeah. Uh, AEW is interesting because it is... So back in 2001, uh, Vince McMahon, the Satan incarnate, he bought oh. all the other wrestling. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so there hasn't been a real wrestling competition in over 20 years. I, I, I do know. I, I know most of the, the, the main players. I, I know Vince McMahon. I know because, I, I, yeah, I, I know the, the, him, the, the monster that is Vince McMahon. <laughs> yes. Um, like... So AEW is really like this startup that I've been watching like uh, several weeks ago since it came on, and I think probably the pay per view they were watching was Full Gear. If I'm if if my memory serves me right, that was I mean I know my memory serves me right because I watched a 40 minute horror movie that was masquerading as a wrestling match at the end um, because oh my. my favorite boy ever um, was in it. Um, but I, it's interesting now that wrestling has competition, like there's competition again, because mm-hmm. I think that just makes, obviously, like anything else, when there's no monopoly, like, the products get better, like, so, it's good, <laughs> like, there's so much, but there's so much wrestling now, it's like, I don't know, it's like, it's, I have someone push me off into the deep end of the pool, and I'm, I'm surviving, but I'm trying to take my time. <laughs> Because what you need is a second deep well of continuity and giant spanning casts to keep you occupied. Yes, right? That's exactly what I need. And everyone's like, you've abandoned us. And I'm like, I haven't abandoned anybody. <laughs> I'm just, I'm take like, 
my my del- delving into wrestling is my coping mechanism when Shatterstar isn't in a comic book. Like, <laughs> what do you want from me? Like, that is you, fair. That what is do people want from me. Yeah. Look, guys, I can do heroin and cocaine. I don't have to choose. <laughs> Cocaine's a powerful drug. It is. Oh boy, it's like it's it's funny because I gravitated towards. Um, and you know it's it'll be on the podcast like our young ones episode that comes out this coming week, um, but I got so many pointed questions from our friends that are like, "What's happened?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I've I found I found somebody who very much is my type in wrestling, and it's like he's got that like weird charisma that you like don't see in a lot of people and it's like this intangible quality you're like oh this this guy though um and it's it's funny because he just left the wwe like Mm -hmm. in earlier this year and he left this like mega he escaped from this mega conglomerate corporation who was basically using him as like they didn't let him do the things he wanted to do. Like he was like kind of like on a leash there and like scripted to do what they wanted him to do. And he escaped this corporation and found freedom with other friends in a new company. So who's that sound like to you? Um, you know, <laughs> just throwing it out there. Um, but it's good. It's been good. Does that make Vince McMahon mojo? I think it does. I can see that. Unquestionably. I'll tell you <laughs> unquestionably. Um, but it's... But, but, but then who's Major Domo? I love Major Domo. I mean, Shane, his son. Shane McMahon, mm. his son. That works. That yeah. works. I mean, they're all in charge. Um, unfortunately. But, yeah, I just... Uh, I'm clinging on to that because that has... A, I have an eight-year backlog of things to catch up on that I can put right inside of me and... Unfortunately, Star and Rick at this point aren't in comic books yet. So, what am I supposed to do? Uh, oh, I read the new issue of Excalibur this morning, and I got to the end, and all I could think of was, "Oh, poor Charlie." Yeah, I, I was, I would toughed it up for the first issue, and I was like, mm. and I didn't tough it out because Excalibur is a very good comic book. Um, I like it quite a bit. Um, and that's saying something for me who reads comic books and it's like, okay, where, 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 where are my favorites? Where are they going to show up? And, um, I think it's great. And obviously I'm writing about it every time it comes out, but I, I got to the end and I'm like, okay, he's not, he wasn't even on the cast page. He wasn't even on the cast page. And I was like, am I in some sort of elaborate fever dream where they tricked me into buying this comic book and Richter's not in it? And then I was like, okay, second issue, second issue, second. He's not in that one either. <laughs> so. I, I, he's on the cover of either three or four with Apocalypse. So he's, or whatever, where, however you pronounce his his name now. I'm just um, going to start calling him A. Yeah, like Fonzie. <laughs> I agree with Dan. I think that's a good, a good thing. He, he banged the lighthouse and, and made it work. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. And he's on the cover of three. And I got this um, really nice shout out this past week from Teeny Howard. And she's been reading the articles when they go up. And uh, she told me to hang in there. Um, it's been happening very soon. And I was like, okay. 
Um, and she enjoys the write-ups, even though I'm, like, ranting and raving through the beginning and the end of them. Um, but I, I can be patient. I've got other things to preoccupy my time. If I didn't, however, <laughs> I would be absolutely... Uh, you wouldn't be able to stand my presence on the internet. So be glad that I found Dean Ambrose. Just be glad. <laughs> <laughs> he he is the methadone that is getting through you, getting you through this this uh, this Rick Star withdrawal. <laughs> yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. But what are you guys up to? Oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just I guess clawing my way out of the usual uh, deluge of, of comics. You know, it's funny. This is the week that we're recording. This is the week there's like three X-Books coming out. And I'm just like, God, that's too, it's too many. It's too many for one week. You know, never minding the fact that, you know, six are coming out in one week next month. But that's such a like, you know what I mean? We, like we were almost spoiled with, with one book a week at, you know, five ninety nine or whatever, whatever the heck the, you know, hox pox cost. And now we're getting back into that cycle of, you know, not too many X books. I don't want to say that, but you know, a lot of them. Welcome to being a Batman fan. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, you recently wrote about that exact same thing. It's, it's certainly not exclusive to the X-Men or, or, or Spider-Man or, or any, uh, popular section of comics. No, it is the first time I think in a while that we've had consistent books, X books that you don't read like one or two issues of, and then you find your niche, like your place. And then you're like, okay, this is, this is the book. I think it's a little bit different now because we're in a unified X universe. Mm-hmm. One we haven't had for quite a while. Um, like, so it's, even if you know you can only buy one of the books or two of the books, like you have this nagging thing in the back of your head that tells you, well, I need, I need to see them all. I got to collect them all. It's like a Pokemon situation. <laughs> yeah. I went into this being like, I'm going to, I'm going to read the first first issue of all six and then I'll, I'll go down to, to three and then it was like well I'll do the first two issues and then I'll go down to four now I'm not entirely sure where I'm gonna fall on this whole thing yeah yeah and I, I and it's funny because I, I really don't think we've had um, I mean your mileage varies everybody's do, everybody's does but um, I don't think we've had like a major swing and a miss um, quite yet I mean one could uh, I've got my own personal thoughts and feelings about a couple of them, but they're mostly my... It's mostly the fact that, like, I think X-Force had a clean slate to start with in a world where you can now redefine what that book means, and mm-hmm. we went back to the same dark and gritty place we've always been. And I, I'm just... I'm, I, be, I was sick of it when it co-opted the original X-Force premise, and I'm still sick of it in 2019. Mm. I'm, I'm largely in the same boat with you. Like, the first issue just, like, it didn't do it for me, except, like, the one thing that was interesting was all the Black Tom stuff. True. I mean, it's giving a character, like, a spotlight that I can appreciate happening. Um, and now I'm, I'm also now a little... I've seen the preview for the second issue. I'm... Quinn Choir, I don't speak about him much, but I do love him as a character. Okay, um, okay. And I'm a little... Quentin's been through so many ups and downs, right? 
True. People true. write him as the ass, just the asshole. People write him as the like asshole, but he kind of knows what he's doing, and he's kind of he's got a heart underneath all of it. And then some people write him on the other end where he's got like way more levity than maybe he needs. I I just it's upsetting that he consistently gets reset over and over and over again. This is the kid who who helped Jubilee get her powers back, gave up the Phoenix to do it. But sure, he's still a conceited little asshole, I guess. You know, I know we don't get Marvel DC crossovers anymore, but it's interesting. Your description of him reminds me a lot of the way Damian Wayne is treated as well. Mm -hmm. And it would make me just absolutely fascinated to see Damien and Quentin attempt to interact. <laughs> I've heard that too. Um, obviously, I don't read a lot of DC or really any DC comics, but I've been around so many people that enjoy them that I that I understand that like comparison like 100%. Oh yeah, because I mean, Damien started out as the biggest little shit you've ever seen, and then he develops a much deeper relationship between him and Dick Grayson that makes him a better better person and then every now and then you'll get writers who bring him back to being the the little ass that he was at the beginning and then it's like okay except when he's with Dick or with uh John Kent and it, yeah I I'd never thought about the the parallels between him and Quentin before but that makes a lot of sense yeah and I I get I get why it's, it's functionally something that happens. It's just, okay, we have to pull somebody's back, and I guess, like, Quentin just keeps on keeps on getting pulled pulled right back. I, I mean, I love Kelly Thompson, but I didn't really enjoy her Quentin Choir. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite Quentin Choir interpretation is actually Jason Latour's. Um, I think is that Spider-Man in the X-Men? That was um, Wolverine in the X-Men Volume 2. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah, I love Jason Latour writing Quentin because he makes him weird. Like, I just love, like, weird Quentin. And I like Jason Aaron's Quentin, and I think, obviously, he's the one that's done the most work on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about, like, the weirdo um, Quentin that Jason Latour writes is really on my alley. He did a holiday one-shot last year that was Kate and Quentin in a mall, um, and Quentin was doing all these diehard parodies. Um, they were trying to rescue a mall Santa. It was a very good story, and I'm like, thank God. <laughs> thank God I get this little sliver of something great. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people, obviously, Wolverine the X-Men Volume 2's got its issues, mostly because they forgot to tell Jason Latour that uh, Wolverine was dying when he started to write the book. Um, but, you uh-huh. know, uh, <laughs> I think that you might want to tell uh, somebody that's, you know, writing a book with Wolverine in it. Um, but he did a pretty good job considering. You know, I, just just thinking of the whole Robin Quentin thing, I'm I'm picturing the Amalgam book where he's uh, Robin <laughs> Omega, and so he's in like the red, green, and yellow, but he's still got the pink mohawk. Oh, yeah. I mean, and back in the old Amalgam days, it was Jubilee and Tim Drake who were mashed up. So actually, that would be a fascinating pair of amalgams interact with each other did you guys read those comics when they were coming out oh yeah okay i i, I did not actually okay it seems that seems that that seems like an interesting time to have been reading comics oh yeah no that that was amalgam would have been about 
four or five years into when we around when we started reading comics because I started reading right around Batman eighty nine and that was the mid nineties that was the amalgam era. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, cause it's it's funny that sometimes I'm I'm looking at comics and I'm just thinking, oh man, it would have been it would have been crazy just to like be a weekly comics reader when all this was happening. It was something. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Much like mm-hmm. comics now, it was a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite thing to say about basically anything. This is just a whole lot. <laughs> um, but uh, how have you been uh, enjoying uh, your foray into the whole, you know, Doc's Talks columns thing? We touched on it briefly, but you're writing Excalibur Buddies with, uh, with Nola Fowl now and and be basically being sort of the resident Excalibur one one of the resident Excalibur uh, experts for for xavierfiles.com uh, how you know how's that been going for you so far it's been great um i really like the style of, of articles we've been writing um which are very more like a like a jam like a, just like a jam conversation um with someone else about it um nola brings a lot more knowledge about original Excalibur than i have considering i have never read it Um, but, you know, I get my, a lot of my knowledge just pumped into me via Explain the X-Men. So that's fine. I, I mean, I have a grasp of, of major things that have gone on. Um, but I don't have a connection to it the same way that she does. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's really good to obviously have that to bounce off of and then, um, have someone not entirely, um, want to run away from my extremely manic energy. Um, when I start talking about something. Um, so it's a lot of times, and you two both can attest to this, I'm sure, when you have a full-time job and you come home and you have something to write afterward, it's like, oh, glad, I'm so sure, I'm so glad I signed up for homework this week. Um, <laughs> and you're like, mm, no. <laughs> like, even if it's like something that you really care about, sometimes it's like, Ugh, I just want to sit I don't want to do anything else, um, but her and I like bust us out in like a couple of hours because it's so much easier to write with someone else um, mm-hmm. when you can kind of tag in and out. Uh, so it is the tag tag team situation realized in writing, and I appreciate it very much. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying everything that you're reading. Oh hell yes, oh, yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, I'm a little floored that people are like this is this this is a must. You must read this if you after you uh, read Excalibur, and I'm like that. I'm flattered. Like, the, like I'm not saying anything that I don't normally just run my mouth off and say at any other point in time. Um, I don't ha- have a lot of deep um, analysis because I mean Rob and Chris are going pretty deep in those uh, Hawkpox issues, mm-hmm. and I was like, if you need this for me, I'm not sure I can give this to you. Um, but what's been happening, I'm, I'm very very pleased with. It's awesome. Um, Let me just throw this out to you, guys. Yeah. What's your favorite book that's coming? X book that's been coming out. I I gotta say New Mutants for me personally. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there's. Mm, that's a. Uh, I'm frumfering because it's it's a hard choice. I'm tempted to also go with New Mutants. I mean, I think it was definitely my favorite of the first issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, the frankly, F- X-Men, 
X-Men has been so summersy that that's always been my jam. So getting the, the summerses in all in one place just makes me happy mm-hmm. on a, a pure fanboy level. But, but that first issue of New Mutants, just it, oh, there were so many wonderful, joyous moments with those characters. And as I'm slowly making my way through the original run of New Mutants, I finally got a completed my run, the, a complete run of New Mutants up through the first appearance of Cable, and I have all of that moving forward in trade. That it's like, oh, oh, now I'm, I'm, I'm psyched to see those characters back together again. Yeah, you know, it it was, um, you know, after we'd been physically and emotionally put through the ringer, right. That was part of it. Um, it was really, it was really good, especially to see rain, right? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, I mean that that intro, you know, just just the panel of her sitting on that rock, just sort of smiling and and, and looking off into the distance. It was. It, yeah. it, it was it was such a moment. Why do we fall? Why do we fall, Master Wayne? Come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then pick ourselves back up. Oh, don't don't quote Alfred at me. I'll start crying right. Oh, that's actually Thomas Wayne. But oh, just I I'm I'm still raw from having read the most recent issue of Batman earlier today. Oh my god. Oh, Man, this is emotional emotional mess around here. Um, but I'm <laughs> I, I it's funny because well, let me let me posit this question. Yeah. From what was from what was what we all got at SDCC, like all those, like all the team reveals and book names. Yeah. Which one of them has surprised you the most? I, I think of the six books. Okay. So this was last week was the week that Marauders and Excalibur two came out, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And going off the first issues, had you asked me to choose between the two, I would have said, I would have said Marauders because it's the more fun book you know i like this ang- you know i like this take on kitty you know i love seeing pyro back in the mix and he's having a lot of fun you know one thing i'm loving in general is is figuring out how these sort of former villains you know in the world in a world where that 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 hero villain binary doesn't really exist anymore for the mutants how they kind of find ways to become really useful engines to steal a phrase from thomas the tank engine um but <laughs> Getting to my point, though, Excalibur, I think, is doing more interesting things of the two books and I think is playing with the characters uh, in a way that sort of challenges the entire ensemble. So, so like Apocalypse, for example, he's probably the best example and, and, and the character that I'm going to focus on for X-Men of the Week this week, you know, this whole angle where he's being transitioned into a you know because he's lived for millennia he's kind of yeah of course he studied magic at some point mm-hmm. and and taken an interest in in other world and the multiverse and has a a cult you know and all these things we're learning we're starting to learn new things about a guy who we already got a lot of background on, but it's informing the character in ways that, you know, we didn't have access to before that I think is interesting. Uh, you know, the fact that, like, the, the, the fact that the, the sort of internal mutant conflict isn't a thing right now opens him up to becoming something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the same time, you know, 
taking Rogue sort of off the table for the moment, you're seeing Gambit in a light that plays on everything that Kelly Thompson did with him in in the year prior to this. You know, he's generally really just here for Rogue and, and, and not in a creepy way, you know, like we might have seen 25 years ago. And, and, you know, same with Jubilee, where, you know, she's she's kind of back to the way we remember her, but also she's still a mom and is still worried about her kid. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of, as much as Excalibur really is actually more X-Men blue than, than it is Excalibur, you know, with the exception of, like, the Braddock stuff, it's, it's still, you know, it's not really a nostalgia trip at all. No. No. And that's... Um, I think that book's doing something with Apocalypse that the X-Books have struggled to do with Apocalypse since the Age of Apocalypse. Um, I think this whole Hoxbox thing has rewritten, not overwritten, but, like, altered the DNA of Apocalypse. And maybe you can even go so far as to say that, like, the Age of X-Man stuff also shed other light on Apocalypse. I like, mean, it sure did. It showed them the raw power of a lot of It system. sure did. <laughs> Thank you, Tim Seeley. For my life, um, literally, <laughs> um, not just that, not because of that, um, but I, it's hard to reframe characters after such a long time, um, especially like somebody like Apocalypse um, or the mutant formerly known as Apocalypse. Um, hey, <laughs> he defines himself with a symbol, so I can use a Prince reference, um, but. It's just injecting something different in there, um, and he's it's fascinating in the book. Um, he's got he's definitely got machinations of which oh, yeah. of which yeah. we we kind of know but don't really know. Um, it, it's the book that feels the most like something that's high fantasy, like it feels like it's carved this mythology like out of something like you didn't even know it was there, but we found like we found it in a book and now we're reading about it. Um, so it's, it'll, it will be fascinating to me to see how Rick enters into this because to me, the most thing that excited me the most about him being in the book was the fact that it is outside of his wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. He's not on a a book. He's not on a team called X Factor. He's not in a book called X-Force. Um, and for better or worse, he's not with Star right now. Um, so I'm very interested to see how we like how we color outside the lines with him, um, like what his role is, like what what he interprets is going on. Because I was always the person that's like, you know, if anybody's thinking this like Krakoa stuff's a little weird, it had ha- it had have to be Rick. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really interested to see how he comes into the book and I do hope it's with grand fashion but I'm struggling to, to like connect a thread to figure out like exactly exactly what's going on um, I trust Teeny Howard with my life however um, so that's that for me the book that I'm most surprised most taken with is actually Marauders mm. it was mm. it's a lot of characters who I have had long-term affection for but when i first saw that lineup it's like these are great characters but there's one or two relationships here like uh, raro has a relationship with kitty 
Iceman has a relationship with Kitty, but Araro and Bobby don't have never interacted a ton. And Pyro's and I was like, I'm curious to see how they all fit together. And so far, I think it's a really interesting take. I also I'm a sucker for the the politics of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's always interesting. Um, my, Amber, my wife and I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction, and she tends to be very bored by you know the bits of a song of ice and fire where it's people sitting down and talking about the you know the interactions between the houses she prefers a sweeping the sweeping epic stuff and the same with um there's a series a first book of a series by jim butcher the cinder spires which was um what do I call it? It was steampunky, and she couldn't get into it because it's a lot of politics. I'm fascinated by that. I love the background manipulations and the stuff we're seeing between Emma and Shaw. I, I that's sort of in my wheelhouse, and I haven't yet read this week's uh, Doc's Talks. I just finished the books, my books, a couple hours ago, but I've, I'm I'm caught up, which is a miracle since I've been about a week and a half behind for the past month. But there's a panel in this issue of Marauders that I immediately read and was like, oh, that's that's weird. And that... I don't know what's going on there. And I'm... I, I like it on a, hmm, that's interesting level, but on an, oh boy, that could be uncomfortable or there's something going on there that I don't want to spoil because we're this is going to drop close to, a little too close to the time these books came out. Okay, I'm I'm calling hashtag X spoilers for 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 the next uh, couple of minutes, uh, dear listeners, because I am I am very curious to <laughs> see which panel you're talking about because I couldn't figure it out on my own. Okay, it's was it the panel where Pyro got a face tattoo? No, no, no. There, it's right after. It, it's it's when Bishop shows up. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, and you get he tells every, Xavier's dead. Assassins made it onto the island. Everyone's mm-hmm. frozen. Bobby's believe in the five. They can bring him back. Right. It's italicized. It's oh, like I, I see. So your issue is the italicization of that. Yes. It there's something about that the, the the choice of font there that is distinct from everyone else's font at that point. Mm-hmm. I'll be completely honest, I've been I mean we and just the almost dogmatic response that that reads like dogma. Mm-hmm. I'm there's, I mean, it's been clear there's a level of indoctrination going on here, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just seeing that makes me like, oh boy, Bobby's. I'm surprised Bobby isn't tinted a little red from drinking the Kool Aid. <laughs> you know, that was like my that was my thing when we were reading these books. Like, all, all like hotspots. I was like. Something seems so weird about this. And, like, everybody's just always like, oh, it's, you know, and, and with good reason. It's it's the birth of a nation. It's things being created. It's, like, this stuff. It still seemed weird. Um, 
and I think Marauders has done a really good job of bringing us back to the fact that these are the characters that we love, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mostly because um, Duggan is just really good at characters. I really, really loved his Uncanny Avengers, like, two pieces. Um, and he's just, like, kind of reintroducing us to these characters who feel like the characters we love. Because everybody gets a little worried when people start sounding all the same. And mm-hmm. let's just be honest, some of those, some of that dialogue in in some of those issues of Pox Pox, everyone's starting to sound a little bit samey. Oh, Hickman has a very distinct voice. If you strip out character names from East of West, Dying in the Dead, Fantastic Four, Avengers, and X-Men, it's about character names in certain degrees of context. It can be very difficult to tell who certain characters are versus other characters. In the same way that Bendis does. There's a, a very specific style of writing there. And Grant Morrison and yes, Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis. And... Oh yeah, this is not a slam on either of those guys as writers. This is some writers have a very specific voice. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. it's interesting coming from somebody like that to someone like Jerry or somebody like Leah or somebody like Teeny mm-hmm. who is very character focused right like I'll, like I loved you know House of X and Powers of Ten I love what they did I, I love them as premise I, I, I love Moira in them but she is the strongest yeah. voice in those books she is the one that it's like okay, this is about her and and the things she does, and maybe the same could be said for maybe um, Professor X and Magneto. Voice is very strong, um, but that's what I look for in a book, a comic. I look for like the standout lines because these are people who are saying things because they're the people who only could be saying these things. So it's a little hard to read a book where it's like, mm-hmm, okay. I guess everybody just is sounding the same. Um, especially Storm was off for me um, in parts of those books. Um, so I feel it, like, I mean, to be honest, but Storm's been off for... A bit now, huh? Yeah, it's been a few years, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'm trying to think the last... I mean, I think Pox... Since Pox Storm series, I'm, I can't think of a, a time when Storm has felt... As storm as she should. X Men Red, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, that you know, it's just. I mean, the whole idea of. I mean, even that kind of adds the the part of the thing with Storm the past couple of years is she's the the X Men's field leader has been a supporting player in other people's stories. Yeah. For yeah. for quite some time, and now she's in a book where they can't seem to get her skin color right, Oof. which is is concerning. Yeah, um, it, it's a symptom of the industry. I, I mean, it just is a symptom of the method. Um, I by in, by no means do, am I a colorist by trade. Um, I've been dabbling in, in amateur coloring, um, you know, fairly recently. But I do know a lot of individuals in the comic book industry, and a lot of them I'm, I'm very happy to call my friends. And that is the last step. So you get 
all the you go through all these steps and then the colorist is the last one up and then the last one up is the last one up before the book goes where it needs to go to get done so if there's a problem anywhere along that line and the colors are the last thing up guess what you're maybe getting a rush color job or you're not getting a rush color job but you're getting a color job that can't be looked over thoroughly enough it's it's just a symptom of the way that the comics are made. Um, it's hard because all of those accusations come from a place where it seems like what the internet likes to do is make broad generalizations about the people that make things. Mm-hmm. So it moves from maybe this person needs to learn learn a little bit more about these things to this person is a racist. And I don't like that part of it. Like... I, I I don't like it going to things with in bad faith. I don't like looking at something and saying, "Oh, that's got to be that." I know that. I know that because Marvel's a bunch of racists. Like uh, that. Ugh, that just makes me feel weird. And the other way around makes me feel weird too. Obviously, call fucking people out when they need to be called out. But I think knowing as much about that process as I do, it's really hard for me to be like. Mm, you know what are you doing um it's hard i think they're going to change this we're getting a lot of people you know as they should um talking to them about this but i think it's something that needs like a firm a firm hand like just like hey check yourself instead of being like oh this is all you're all terrible people because you color this way right Eh, that ain't it Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot and especially like the thing that's been going around Twitter this weekend has been, give me your controversial opinion about this thing. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe we should stop doing the thing that Twitter wants us to do and making our lives miserable in the process. Like, you're feeding the monster the thing it loves to eat. Please stop it. And if you don't stop it, then stop complaining when people are in your mentions talking to you about bullshit. <sighs> Twitter's favorite food is hot takes. That's true. And it's, I get it. It's an adrenaline rush, right? Oh, I'm going to say something real real mean or real, yeah. like, real hot that's going to get me those likes and that engagement. And that's what Twitter likes. That's why Twitter sh- continues to have Nazis on their platform. Listen. And it's why our democracy is crumbling. <laughs> <laughs> it's just bad. So the next time you see something like that, please, it's like drugs. Just say no. just say no I try to like I really try to not talk whenever I'm feeling mean I type something out on Twitter and then I delete it I I try and I do that consistently like when I'm having a bad time and I'm like I want to say something mean and I do and then I just get rid of it I don't even post it I just delete it um that maybe that doesn't work for a lot of people but I try to be consistently positive about the things that I enjoy um, and talk about them the way that I would like someone to engage with me about something because the time to tell something, somebody the thing that they like sucks isn't when they're like, I really love this thing. I, I would applaud, but that would screw with the audio. But <laughs> I, I am waving my hands. I will flat out tell you, I saw the controversy, and I my controversial opinion was I was a specific comic that is known for being dark and brooding. And plus, like, I don't particularly like that, despite liking dark and brooding characters. 
I, I, I like happy comics. Yeah, like, I, I don't get fulfilled but like if you're if if you be if you are fulfilled by tearing somebody else down in some way shape or form just because of the thing that they say that they enjoyed man please go sit down somewhere that's away from the internet um you know maybe pet a puppy maybe pet some animals maybe go hang out with some little chicks or a bunny or oh, a bunny yes please a bunny yeah i i love bunnies i think they they are they they are very fluffy and cute, but they also have wild personalities. Um. Oh, but, but our, our bunny who we had who who passed on a few years ago, Smokey. Sm- Smokey liked to play fetch with herself, himself, <laughs> himself. We, we adopted Smokey and were told Smokey was a neutered male. It turned out Smokey was actually an unspayed female. <laughs> so we spent a year using male pronouns, and then it turned out that they were biologically a girl and so we just say that she was a good boy and that was yeah. that was that but but Smo- smoky liked to play fetch with herself she, she would grab a dowel like a we, we got her a, a, a wooden dowel and she'd take it in her little her little bunny teeth and she'd fling it mm-hmm. and then she'd hop after it and pick it up again in her bunny teeth and fling it again and you'd just be sitting in the living room because smoky lived on the sun porch because Bess the cat would have nothing to do with another animal with free reign in her place isn't that right Bess? um and you'd just be every now and then you just hear clickety click 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 hop 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 clickety click 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 hop 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 smoky just liked to play fetch with herself yeah i i, I love rabbits um my best friend had a rabbit for a while and i i helped i went with him and um, got her, and she was like rabbits. They look like they are just mild mannered, but let me tell you what: um, rabbits have attitude, um, <laughs> yes. it, and it is it, it's fantastic. They have such great little personalities. Um, so that's so you know. In general, go go hang out with some animals if you're feeling that way. Um, I, I don't know. I I, I just um. I'm just, I don't, I don't like engaging with that kind of thing. Um, I've been on the internet a very long time, and maybe I'm just old now, like the ripe old age of 31. Um, I've been engaged in fandom discourse since, uh, since I was 16 years old. Um, and I've been through it. I don't need to continue to go through it. I've been through the wild west of the internet. Um, this shit ain't got nothing on that. Um, so, <laughs> like, it's just, it's just tiring. It's just altogether tiring. Um, and I guess, I guess my main problem is, is, like, if you don't realize that this is what, like, the corporation wants you to do, um, and then you still are like, I hate capitalism, just think about it. Just think about it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, that's my, that's my hot take for today. Stop putting your hot takes on Twitter. Um, I, I mean, every once in a while I'll say something, but um, it's usually in the vein of what I just said. Um, yeah. I, I personally just like talking about stuff I like. Me too. There, there, there's no point in talking about why you hate something, because you're rarely going to change anyone's opinion, if ever. While if you talk about something you like, there's a good chance someone else might get interested in it. What do you know? That's crazy. I mean, 
<laughs> There's uh, uh, one. That's why I started watching the X Files 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matt, Matt wouldn't stop talking about. That. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, there's there's one Twitter account that I follow, and they often say really interesting, incisive things, but they also have this really bad habit of getting into fights with trolls. And you'll mm-hmm. see entire days eaten up with them fighting with trolls. And you look at the troll's account, and the troll is following three people, one of whom is them, <laughs> clearly to pick a fight. And it's like, why are you engaging with the troll? Just ignore them. Yeah. You're giving them what they want. Yeah. A platform that they're not having otherwise because nobody follows them. Yeah. It's it's like my pet peeve of the um, retweet someone awful dunk tweet. Um, hey, don't. Mm. Hey, don't. Listen, this person that you just retweeted on my timeline is somebody I am not following or have muted or blocked. And hey, maybe don't do that. Um, like that is that is something that I've I've advocated against for for a bit now. But I you know I just love I just love talking about the things that I love. And apparently people like to hear it because I've got over I've got too many people following me um, <laughs> or too many people that have said you know hey I really like how enthusiastic you are about this thing. And I'm like I'm glad because I can't turn it off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I often think about like. What is it like to like something a normal amount? <laughs> like, You're asking the wrong people. I, I was going to say, I'll, I'll let you know when I do, I, I guess. I know, I know. That's, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, I, sometimes I'm like, I wish I only liked the thing a normal amount. And then I'm like, no, I don't. Um, because, <laughs> well, what is that life like? Um, you know, it's, I, I respect everybody because over the past, like, five, five or six weeks, it's been a month, about a month now. My, my Twitter has changed drastically um, from what it had previously been. Um, True. But, but I hope you're all enjoying the videos of Dean Ambrose. <laughs> and if you're not, I'm very sorry. But if the internet wasn't bad, it's giving you a place where you could like easily put a clip and then share it with somebody. Um, maybe I wouldn't have to use Twitter as a repository. Or the things I'm trying to show other people. Um, but that's besides the point. So, yeah. Kids, watch wrestling. It's good. It's good, actually. <laughs> if you like comic books, I think you might like wrestling. <laughs> they have a lot of same, the same DNA. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and to be clear, Charlie, I am enjoying your enjoyment of Dean Ambrose. <laughs> hey, Absolutely. He, he is a... He is... He's very good. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. He's he's just that uh, weird guy with charisma. He's not traditionally handsome, and I enjoy it. He looks kind of greasy and a lot of the time. He's from my home state of Ohio, um, and um, he looks like he would get in a fight with you in the parking lot of a Denny's, and I'm really into that. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he used to belong to a, a wrestling company um, where they would break light tubes over his back during matches. Um, he's just a really interesting man. Um, so, yeah, if you're liking that, I bet you'd like one of the members of the Shield. Um, but uh, I'm not here to talk about this. <laughs> like, <laughs> and yet I and yet I am here to indulge it. <laughs> Thank you are you. here to talk about whatever you like. <laughs> oh, 
you guys are too kind. My friends always know when to indulge me. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, for a lot of the same reasons I like comic books, I think I've, I've really started to enjoy wrestling because it's, it's, it's really not, a, it is about the wrestling, but it's really about the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like comics have fights in them, but it's about the characters. Um, you know, at the best of times, the wrestling match is just an extension of the story. Um, and it's, you know, I think WWE falls, like, I feel like they just, like, stumble upon good things a lot of the time especially Mm -hmm. now like this is an accident like we didn't mean for you to we didn't mean for this to happen but it just did um because a lot of there's a lot of incompetency there um but i think you know when you're telling a story you don't necessarily like you you know where it's going to end like when you're writing a comic but seems like these people don't really know and so much of it's like elevated by their performances and and the people doing them and i think that wrestling is more theater than it is actual like sports like you have to be an athlete to do the things and everybody is obviously super super athletic and really in shape um and puts on a hell of a show but it's at the end of the day it's really about like the performances of the characters so it's really kind of more like theater to me i guess makes absolute sense yeah it's so if i guess if you never thought about that you'd like it um come visit my twitter i'll show you some things (laughs) i think you'll enjoy um it's that's at genetic ghost for all your wrestling indoctrination (laughs) needs yes um uh in in 2017, there was a storyline where one of the members of the Shield, who were a faction that like basically were like, oh my god, I don't have a I don't have a comic comic analogy, but they were like they just kind of like showed up out of nowhere, like kind of like secret assassins, and just started like decimating everybody. And they're like these three guys who were like really like tight knit, um, and they just like kind of came to like take over the business basically. And they ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. were they like the the eighty six Marauders? Perhaps, perhaps. But they came out of nowhere and just started assassinating everybody. Y- yes, but more relevant, more more relevant. Okay, okay. There, relevant. there was the Hyper Clan, who are these Justice League villains who showed up, or they they showed up claiming to be superheroes, and they started doing all the things to you know, fix the world that superheroes never do, like making arid land arable and, you know, stopping political, you know, stopping wars and things. And then it turned out they were actually telepathic aliens who were planning to take over the entire planet after they made it right. You know, they, their moniker were, their moniker is the Hounds of Justice because they came to right the wrongs of the WWE. Um, and, they were super, super dominant for, like, two years and were, like, as tight as tight could be. And then one of their members, Seth Rollins, betrayed mm-hmm. the both of them, Dean and Roman, um, in this, like, amazing segment where he just, like, stabbed them in the back that started this, like, whole rivalry between Seth and Dean, like, 
less like brothers, like, that they would always say, like, oh, he stabbed his brother in the back, but more like, like, lovers who, like, <laughs> just, like, wanted to tear each other apart at some point. Like, Dean was very, like, scorned, and he's just like, I'm gonna kill you. And, like, in the ring, he's like, super charismatic, and he would do these things that, like, people don't usually do, like, when he would, like, go to hurt Seth, he'd, like, kiss him on the forehead before he'd, like, beat him to a pulp. Like, just these, like, weird things that you would, like, never see guys do in the ring. And they had this, like, really crazy good rivalry, and, like, as most people do, you have your time as, like, an evil heel, and then you turn the other way. Um, and when Seth turned to be good again, he had basically to beg Dean for forgiveness, like, and that was, like, a story for, like, six months where he, like, kept trying to get his trust back. And it was so much like a it's soap opera that it was, like, there was, like, a time they came to the ring and, like, Seth's, like, I need, like, what's it going to take for you to get over this? And he's, like, I don't know who you are. I knew someone who looked like you once, but he was a liar. And it was just, like, really good. And then Seth, like, begged Dean to hit him with the chair to, like, absolve him of his sins. And it's, like, the gayest thing I've ever seen. And <laughs> so it, like... It, I just washed over me, and I'm like, this is, why is it wrestling like this all the time? <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's like the will-they-won't-they they situation, like, and there is, like, like, weird undertones you can read into it if you want to, but, like, obviously all the straight people watching wrestling don't. Um, I don't know, it's, it's, it sure is a trip. I didn't think I'd fall down this well, but... Here I am. And it's kind of like a lot like Rick Star in a lot of ways. With more evil machinations, but like the premise is the same. One's got one is a redhead, the other one isn't. <laughs> yeah. The uh, Boom Studios, when they launched their WWE comic, they started with a, a story arc about the shield. Yes. And I remember the first issue, this was uh, Dennis uh, Hopeless at the time, uh, writing and it was just like it was like what the superstars do in between matches, and so it was it was the Shield guys. It, it was it was Seth Dean and and Roman having like a cookout atop one of the 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 trucks in the lot of whatever stadium they were at at the time, and Dean freaking out on Seth because Seth forgot to bring potato salad. Yes, yes. That was the inciting event of that comic book that I read in. Whatever year that came out. Let's say 2017. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yes. Um, all, other other hits also include um, Dean going on a road trip with Sasha Banks um, and going to diner and beating people up. Um, I've been... I, I went and read that comic series. Um, mm -hmm. Dennis did a fantastic job with it. Um, it is... I wasn't expecting to open it up and be like, oh, here's the shield. I'm so happy. Um... <laughs> Um, it's got some like really killer art and I, I'm just like I wish I had known about this when it was coming out but I you know back you know even just like a year ago my brain was stuffed way too full of other things to be like mm -hmm. I've, I've got to now read a wrestling comic book like I don't think I could have handled wrestling like a, a year or so ago like on my plate with like everything else because like I go hard in one direction Mm -hmm. and that's where I couldn't do that not not at all um but I'm glad you read it <laughs> because I, I like to read anything written by Dennis Hopeless please write more Marvel books soon Dennis hopefully maybe at some point indeed so uh I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna ask the tough question now 
something you've probably given some thought to. Okay. Where is Star? <sighs> okay, so a couple months, like a month or so ago. Okay. I got really sad because I was like, what if they don't let Star on Krakoa? Mm-hmm. I know in my heart that he is a mutant. The comics have told me this several times. Mm-hmm. But then people get all wishy-washy about it. And are like, well, maybe he isn't. And I'm like, don't. Don't do that. Um, so I got sad about it. And I was like, what if they don't let him on? And I'm like, maybe he wouldn't even want to be there. Uh, but then I'm like, maybe Rick wouldn't want to be there either. And... You know, we all read the same Shatterstar miniseries. Those two were firmly together at the end of that series. 100%. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Reached out across a rift in dimensions to bring him home. Exactly. Arms outstretched. Exactly. Yes. It was beautiful. It was very good. Um, so I'm like, you know, where is Star? I think, I'd st- I think I do really like him in that landlord role. But I think he desperately doesn't know what's going on. Like, he wants to be a, like, he wants to help everyone, but I think, like, he's got some of his own things he needs to deal with. So mm-hmm. I think, I think he's probably still trying to, like, figure that out. And maybe he did tell Rick, you know, if you want to go, I'm, you know, I'm not going to stop you from going. I don't, in my heart of hearts, I don't think Rick would leave him. Um, but that's where we're, we are right now. Maybe there's a reason. Um, so I think Star, as he's wont to do, is just taking some time to reassess. So I think maybe he, he doesn't have the building anymore, but mm-hmm. I think he's just, I don't want to say taking a vacation because I don't think he knows how to do that um, without somebody helping him out. Um, but I think he's just like, <laughs> taking some time to figure out what he wants to do. Does he want to go to Kakoa? Does he want to continue to, like, just live in New York? Like, he's always kind of somebody that is, that needs a little bit of a grounding force, which is why he works with Rick so well. Um, You know, Rick is there to, like, you know, sometimes to his own behest and, you know, to to, to actually just give him that handhold that he needs. Um, and without that, I think Star, as we know, is kind of just a little afloat, like without, not without a purpose, because I think he very much established who he is and wants to be at the end of, you know, that miniseries. But I think he, he needs some time to, with this Krakoa thing, maybe to figure out how he feels about it. Because let's be honest, the whole reincarnation, um, clone, weird situation, that's got to weird him out at least a little bit. So. Absolutely. So, yeah. so that's 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 my thought. I mean, if I had it my way, they'd just be living on a nice little place in in Krakoa, and it would just be fine. But comics don't give me the things I want, so that's why I have to create the things that I want. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe for a second Teeny won't bring him into the fold. So, I'll just be waiting for it to happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, that's something I, I've thought about. I, I got really sad about the fact that Star might not be allowed on the island, but a very kind and trustworthy soul told me that was not the case. 
So that put my heart it, it put my my heart at ease a little bit. I mean, if Corsair's got a Krakoa gate, and Shogo, who I believe is not a mutant, no, is... Shogo is is human as far as we know. Uh, yeah. Excalibur, the end of Excalibur two, went from that a little. Yeah, exactly. That's hence the as far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, in. in Brew is, I mean, not, you know, an X-gene mutant. I mean, he is a mutant brood, but that wouldn't, it, he wouldn't have an X-gene to trigger the gates, and he was on Krakoa. Yeah. So that's one up on Captain Kate. Yeah, that's, mm. that's true, which is, that's also interesting. I feel like I know a little bit more about what's going on in that situation. I, I feel like it's very easy to identify that that's some manipulation of some sort, mm-hmm. um, by somebody, somewhere, um, the Neo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dan. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> because. <laughs> the, the... So, somewhere Chris Claremont is wringing his hands. <laughs> he, he had a shiver go down his spine. Oh, man. You said the word. <laughs> yeah. Don't say it three times or they'll show up. No, it's like a Beetlejuice situation. <laughs> yes. Like if any, were to, if any person were to bring that back, it would somebody would resurrect something like that, it would be Hickman, because Hickman is is nothing if not the master of deep cuts, I suppose. Oh, yeah. That's true. That is yeah. true. And magical, really pale people. Yeah, like that and, Well, we already got one of those. Right, in, well, uh... <laughs> you know, we, my, a friend of mine, and I, I have to harass him to write this piece, he pointed out that every Hickman comic has a completely white from head to toe with some accents character. Nearly every one. And he was waiting for that character to show up in X-Men and they appeared and he was infinitely pleased that his theory was correct. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, we could like spin wild theories about what Hickman is, was, or is going to do at some point. Um, but I don't, I don't want to spend too much time trying to be in Jonathan Hickman's brain. Um, so I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may going forward. It's a labyrinth. You don't want to run into the Minotaur. Mm -mm. Mm -mm 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 -mm. It's going to have too many charts, way too many charts. You can't deal with it. You cannot. The Minotaur is going to make you do math. (laughs) You know, if I don't look at something for more than like five minutes, I got to tap out. Like, it's, those charts in Excalibur, I enjoy them because they are more, to me, like, like, like pages you'd find in a spell book that were maybe mm-hmm. ripped out. Like, you're kind of putting a puzzle together. Um, and the, and the, tra- and the charts that are in Marauders are just delightful, like, anecdote, anecdotes. So, they're not really charts at all. <laughs> yeah. Communiques from the secret navy, or or, or uh, however, whatever those things are at the very beginning. Yeah, like the redacted, redacted information. Um, yes, it's you know, and it's funny because Krakoa is just giving everybody a like Krakoa is just doing like having that is it just a vehicle for like everybody that's been writing fan fiction for the last however many years to be like, and this is what Scott's house would look like, and this. And this is what every where everybody's living on this island commune where we all live now. 
Um, so it's funny to me that these things have only just been realized in canon, and, like, people have been writing about this for, like, 20-plus years. So get with the times, Mr. Hickman. Hickman looks at your pervy head cannons and laughs. Yeah. Like, it's it's funny. It, it's funny to, to me, the things that the books are, are, are doing now. Um, like, kind of just trying to eliminate the whole Scott... Logan Jean situation um, in the best way it possibly could have been resolved. Um, with adjoining bedrooms. With, yeah, with adjoining <laughs> bedrooms. Uh, maybe they're just all having a good time. Um, you know, maybe they're playing Pandemic Legacy every night and it's just, you know, very convenient to have yeah. the, boor- the, the board in the central room so you don't have to break it down and put it back together like you do with sometimes it's to do with a legacy game, which is painful. Yeah, maybe they're just like having a very long-standing like, like game, some sort of board game. Maybe it's just Monopoly, and they don't feel like putting the pieces away because you're never going to finish that game. Um, you know, it's something like that. The only, and um, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I will say that the situation with Scott and Gene and Logan mm-hmm. is somebody who has previously been in a poly relationship. The easy answer to people that have relationship issues and um, some related trauma set around said issues, the Band-Aid happy family fix situation isn't just saying everybody's poly now. That That's the only thing that's like the quote-unquote discourse around that situation. It makes me cringe a little. Um, because, like, people that are like, oh, everybody will just be with each other, and that'll fix the problem. No. Um, listen, I'm talking, telling you right now, those three don't communicate nearly enough to have a successful polyamorous <laughs> relationship. <laughs> it takes some hard work and dedication to your situation at hand to be able to pull that one out. Neither any parties involved, I don't think, are capable of. So that's that on that. What emotionally distant Logan and emotionally traumatized Scott that they don't communicate their relationships well? <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? I know, right? Oh, just they're all gonna have sex now, so I guess that's fine. You can do that without, you know, the emotional attachments. That's I'm getting a little spicy, I gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> going to go down that particular rabbit hole. <laughs> Here, Charlie, let me let me save you from from yourself. Um, Thank you. <laughs> no, uh, as 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 we are as as we're wrapping up because we've gone gone well over an hour. Uh, just you know, tell tell the people what you're up to and and where they should be tracking you down for that good good Charlie Davis content. Okay. Um, you can find me primarily at Genetic Ghost on Twitter, where you'll be greeted with a wall of Dean Ambrose yelling about things. Um, it's very charismatic yelling. You should enjoy it. Um, also, I mean, I tweet about other stuff, too. Um, I tweet about how you should be nice to people and how you should be excited about what you love and also comics. Um, every time an issue of Jeannie Howard and Marcus Toe's Excalibur comes out, I write about it on XavierFiles.com with my writing partner, Nola Fowl, um, where we talk about the issue, um, and just have a good old time, um, talking about it. Those are the only things I'm doing with writing right now, um, 
just because sometimes writing feels like homework and sometimes I don't want to do homework. Um, other than that, you can find my podcast, The Young Ones, at Young Ones Cast on Twitter as well, where me, my partner Mikey, and our good friend Reed talk about uh, teen superheroes and why we love them. Also, sometimes we talk about the things that we just love. Um, the upcoming episode that will be coming out this same week, we have a conversation about comics, X-Men, the movie Parasite, and why wrestling has taken over my soul. Um, so if you think those things will be interesting to listen to, um, you can catch up and listen to that. Um, we'll be back to regularly programmed uh, scheduling about Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, which is getting is harder to get through than I initially thought. So, <laughs> so if you like that, if you like podcasts, if you like our, our small podcast network that we have collected, um, please go ahead and uh, take a listen to that. And if you do listen, tell a friend. And maybe give us a review on iTunes. Only five stars, thank you. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> Charlie, you are the best. Uh, thank you again for uh, pinch hitting, and 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 thank you. <laughs> no problem. Anytime, guys. I'll now be going back to maybe watching Survivor Series. <laughs> Enjoy. So I will. Yes. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And if we hit $10 in monthly donations, we'll start a new project, either a second podcast about the DC animated features, a deep dive retrospective on James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman, or a manga for beginners feature. Uh, big thanks to our existing patrons, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, and Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA!